Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? All right! Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States Police Force has everything under control. Here, you know, 
escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all is about to blow the future apart. From downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 84, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Yeah, man, Escape from New York from 1981, starring Kurt Russell as the immortal Snake Plissken, uh, a role that uh, Kurt Russell cites as his favorite character. Uh, and also his favorite film. Now, Kurt Russell, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, when you look at the pantheon of action heroes, you know, people talk about your Stallones, your your uh, Schwarzeneggers, your Willis's perhaps, your Eastwoods. Interesting yes. fact about <laughs> yeah, Eastwood, yeah. we'll talk about in this one. For sure. But when you look at some of the roles that Kurt Russell has been in, I mean, besides um, playing Snake Plissken, who is one of the coolest characters in cinematic history as far as I'm concerned, I mean, this guy has been in... Tango and Cash. He's been in Tombstone. He's been in another Carpenter film uh, that was fucking awesome, Big Trouble in Little China. Of course, he was in The Thing. Um, he was also in recently Bone Tomahawk, which was amazing. amazing. He's been. He was in uh, Tarantino's Hateful Eight. He was also in a few uh, comedies that I really liked in the eighties, such as uh, a movie he did with Robin Williams called The Best of Times. And one of my favorite guilty pleasures of the 80s, Overboard, with his one-time <laughs> with, paramour, with his wife, yeah. uh, Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn, yeah. Um, so Kurt Russell has been in so many things, and I don't think he gets his due as an action hero. He really is no. incredible. And, and Snake lives on, obviously, in The Simpsons as their uh, go-to, uh, the, uh, the, the, the chief hoodlum in the town of Springfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although he does not have an eye patch no. in The Simpsons. <laughs> and, I mean, the cast of this movie is... Unbelievable. When we look at him, I mean, you got Lee Van Cleef, who uh, is most, he plays Hawk, and he's uh, best known for, of course, the Leone films, mm-hmm. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, for a few dollars more. You got Ernest Borgnine. Big gap-toothed uh, Ernest Borgnine. Yep. Devil's Reign, you mm-hmm. know, uh, okay. he plays Cabby. We got the wonderful Donald Pleasance. I mean, he's a lot of Carpenter regulars. I mean, you got Donald Pleasance uh, from Halloween, of course. Mm-hmm. Um he plays the president of the United States. Which Always is, a treat to see Don Pleasance in the film. Kind of odd, as he's from like the West Midlands in, in the UK, yeah, which is where Ozzy's from, or whatever. And yeah, you don't anticipate. And he, he his mute, accent was a little bit muted, mm. but you could still catch a little bit of the uh, you know Midland brogue in there. It's actually interesting because um, I was doing some research, and Pleasance actually uh, offered to Carpenter a, a scene. A little bit of backstory explaining how a uh, Brit could become a president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. But Carpenter just said, nah, it's okay. We'll just mm. go with it. Don't worry about it. Another Carpenter regular, Adrian Barbeau. Or mm-hmm. some people call her Adrian Barboobs. You know? <laughs> She's in this one. We got fucking Harry Dean Stanton. We got Isaac Hayes as the Duke. We got Tom Atkins, who is a genre favorite. I mean, he was in Halloween 3. He was in The Fog. He was in Creepshow. Night of the Creeps. I mean, this cast is unbelievable. You know, it's 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 a genre pick heaven when it comes to this cast, a smorgasbord. And um, the interesting thing, uh, when I was talking about Clint Eastwood earlier, is that Kurt Russell was not the studio's first choice for this. They did not have any faith in him being able to carry this picture. They approached the Chucks, you know, Bronson, <laughs> but Carpenter is too old. They approached uh, Norris, but he, he turned it down. They really wanted Eastwood to do it, and um, Eastwood said no. So when Kurt Russell took on the role of Snake Plissken... He channeled his inner Eastwood. Exactly, <laughs> and his performance was an homage to Eastwood, and that, you know, that's why he's got that voice, you know, that sort of you whisper. ask yourself, do you feel lucky, punk? Yeah. Do you? Do you? Everyone does Eastwood, every hack comedian. <laughs> I'm not taking this act to the stage, and don't yeah. worry, but... Yeah, that was, that was neat, and you mentioned that it's... Uh, 
Eastwood and spaghetti westerns, because this, I guess, Carpenter himself called a western, even though it's an a post-apocalyptic wasteland, one of our favorite places to visit. Yeah, and I also love, it's funny because this takes place in 1997, right? I mean, it was made in 81, and it takes place in 19, the future post-apocalyptic world of 1997, which it was paid homage to in Turbo Kid, because that also took place in the future world of 1997. Yes. So we love, yeah, we love our post-apocalyptic films. And it seems, and this one is set in this, I guess, yeah, dystopic future in which Manhattan has been uh, turned into a prison for um, what reason? I don't know. The most valuable real estate in all of the world. <laughs> and you would use that as your prison, well, but yeah. it, it's it's an interesting conceit. It's a, it's cool. It's, a, it's yeah. a penal colony, the island of Manhattan. Now, is Manhattan really an island? Uh, it's a peninsula. Yeah. You can, if you keep going north, that's it. But yeah. It is <laughs> Miami, landlocked yeah. at one point. But anyway, yeah. but they cover that too because yeah. they've got the the, the bridges mm -hmm. all uh, you know guard, heavily guarded by. The government and, and yeah. by the, the hacks. So, so what they decide is to turn the island of Manhattan into a penal colony. They're going to throw in all the prisoners, no guards, no correctional officers. They're just there, left to their own devices. Sort of like once you get in, you're never coming out. That yeah. sort of thing. And, and yeah, they really are left to their own devices because they. It, it's almost like some sort of uh, Dickensian uh, landscape. I think they shot this in the ghettos of St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there's and, a lot of soundstage as well. Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, this place, they're, they're basically living like hobos with like oil drums for fires mm -hmm. and, and cooking their own little uh, things. And there's no guards to be seen anywhere because they're all outside the island. And right. they're just mm -hmm. left to fend for themselves yep. in this uh, sort of Hobbesian uh, wasteland. Yeah. Um, a couple of other interesting facts before we get into this movie proper. Uh, this, of course, was written by John Carpenter. I mean, he writes most of his best movies. However, his co-writer was Nick Castle, and Nick Castle actually played the shape Michael Myers in Halloween 1. Nice. And he went on to become a director in his own right. I mean, he directed a really cool 80s sci-fi flick that I love called The Last Starfighter. Now, you were talking about the set. I mean, yes, a lot of this was on soundstage. Now, this was... In 81, what they then did with all these sets is they reused them, repainted them, and used them in 1982's Blade Runner. Yeah, I can see the similarities, so, yeah. for sure. So, as, as we were saying, uh, this is the future, 1997. Crime is running rampant. <laughs> yeah, of course. The, the correctional uh, system has failed, so New York City is now a penal colony. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, set against this backdrop, Cold War. We've got the president, Donald Pleasance, mm -hmm. and he's... Uh, involved in high stakes negotiations over um, over nuclear weapons with Soviets and evil evil red China, and he's flying in Air Force One, uh, which has been hijacked, and an escape mechanism in the airplane is uh, a pod, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. I don't know how this. Uh, I'm sure someone has conceived of this, and I, uh, you've probably thought that. You know, Air Force One, what if that were to go down? I mean, the president never travels with the vice president and that. I've always thought, like, do they have, like, a super high-tech parachute that they use on this that is unavailable for commercial use? I've always or, thought about, like, even, forget Air Force One, like, I always think about, like, just, like, baseball teams. Like, are, yes, you know yeah, I, mean? I remember my dad telling me about some Italian soccer team that yeah. perished, and you know, that never happens given how often like, sports teams when fly. When you think how many times, you know, rock and roll musicians... Parish and plane crashes, you know. Oh, your buddy Holly's, your buddy Holly's, big bopper, big bopper, Larry Skinner, etc., etc. It's happened, uh, Steve Rivon, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's happened so many times. Even like you know, Aaliyah, for God's sake. Yeah. And you got these sports teams, baseball, basketball, football, and they're flying back and forth every day. 
they never go down these planes. Yeah. Nor does Air Force One. So what no. the heck, you know? But in this movie, Air Force <laughs> One goes down, and the president jettisons himself from this pod. And yes, ends. and and I got to say, at this point too, is we're both we've you know we've got pretty deep you know connections to New York City. Uh, I was there a week before 9-11 and seeing a pl- uh, seeing the World Trade Centers mm. on the skyline and uh, the plane crashing into it just really like hit me and that was oh, yeah. very, very uh, kind of depressing. And, Talk and, about and, prescient, and, I mean, prescient, in a yeah. very sort of depressing way, yeah. Um, now, when the when the president does uh, get us from the plane, he is holding some precious cargo. Yes, a cassette tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny how it's 1997, it's the future, but they've yet to advance in audio technology. Yes. So they're still using the Hori uh, 81 cassette. You know? Yeah, they didn't even implant a chip in his brain or something. Yeah, right? exactly. He really didn't have that much <laughs> imagination. But yeah, and he's got a, a briefcase handcuffed to uh, to him with the, the secret, uh, secret uh, you know, top secret information in this uh, in this audio vehicle there. And yeah, the uh, he, he's, he crashes and he becomes... This is an unlucky guy, the, mm-hmm. you know the, uh, you know the head of the free world here. He is on a hijacked plane. He manages to extricate himself from that, and then he gets kidnapped again mm-hmm. when he lands in his escape pod in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no one shows the press any respect. I mean, <laughs> Don Pleasants. I mean, poor guy. He just gets used and abused and destroyed in this one. At one point later on in the film, they're using him for target practice. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. But uh, so I mean, something's got to be done, right? We got to yeah. rescue the president. In fact. Not only do we have to rescue the president, there's an urgency because he's got to attend some summit within yeah. 24 hours, and the, what's on this tape is, is so, so germane to yeah. what's, you know, the, the fate of the free world. We have to do something. So what are they going to do? Well, it just so happens that there is an inmate who is going to be transferred to this penal colony, a former war hero. Yeah, of course. It just, you know? <laughs> because he has to be sympathetic. He couldn't, right. couldn't have some sort of ass-kicking um, pederast or something. Yeah. <laughs> there's a certain now, time there. No, he's a Purple Heart a military vet, a mm-hmm. Snake Plissken, and yep. he's, he's the one that they approach. Now, another scene that, that was deleted from the original script was a scene showing Snake Plissken robbing a bank or something, yes. or doing something in order to show, you know, why he's being sent to the penal colony of New York. So as he's being processed and being ready to be sent off to his, I guess, you know, live the rest of his life in the penal colony, colony. Uh, yeah. He's offered a deal by the character played by Levon Cleef, Hawk. And this is very, like, yeah. this is very Steven Seagal, and and very you know these action movies we've suffered through, where the the guy, the inside man, uh, is approached to do something. So it's it's interesting. So he's approached with this mission, and it's thankless because it has a finite end, and mm-hmm. if he doesn't complete it. it then he, he's going to die himself. So well, yeah, he really I mean, has they, no choice. They basically uh, say to him, you've got 24 hours to do this. If you do it, you'll get your freedom. If you don't do it, we've just implanted you with a couple of, uh, I don't know, nanites or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah some capsules that will explode his arteries. In yeah, his, exactly. Yeah, yeah so it's very uh, Battle royal kind of thing. Now, for those who haven't seen this movie, and for those who haven't seen this movie, shame on you, because it's, it's an incredible yeah, movie. it's incredible. Um, with a fucking amazing soundtrack. Again, Carpenter with the soundtracks, wow. I mean, I was actually at the record store yesterday trying to find an Escape from New York soundtrack on vinyl. I couldn't find it, but I really, really dug the opening theme. Yeah. The music. But Prince of Darkness was awesome. I was listening to it today. Mm-hmm. I ended incredible. up buying uh, John Carpenter's Lost Themes. This is a, uh, after a studio record that John Carpenter just put out in his advanced years. But anyway, let's describe the character Snake. You know, his appearance. It's totally iconic, so let's describe what he looks like. 
He's got the sleeveless well, yeah, he's, uh, he's, black He's got the black skirt. tank top. Yeah, tank he does top. Have a, he's got a kind of cool, beat-up weather leather jacket. Yeah, he's got this, uh, these sort of shin, <laughs> like kind of shin pads, and he's got a, a snake tattoo yeah. on his torso not with, to yeah, mention, with an eye patch. Yeah, not to mention he's wearing you know, combat fatigue pants, and he has um, the eye patch, and he's sporting, and this is hilarious, because another thing about Kurt Russell, you got to give it to this man... He has had the same hairstyle from the beginning of his career up until yeah. present day. You know, he's, he has a mullet, you know? Yeah. And you know what? Good it, work, it, it works, works for him. It it's, works. Not, it's not like uh, some uh, over-the-hill, over uh, you know, 50s, 60s uh, teen icon, uh, idol who mm-hmm. hasn't changed. I think like the guy in The Monkees, mm-hmm. where they keep that same style and it's so dated. Yeah. This will always look cool. Yeah. It's sort of not a full mullet. It's sort of like a very lustrous sort of half mullet. And oh, he makes got, it work. He's got a great head awesome. of hair, man. Yeah. I'd love to have Kurt Russell's yeah. hair. <laughs> There's no name for a band. Kurt Russell's hair. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I mean, like, you know, just seeing uh, Bone Tomahawk and The Hateful Eight, I mean, now he's, you know, it's all salt and pepper and gray, gray but it's yeah. the same hairstyle, and now he's got the whiskers and everything, and he looks very Sam Elliott, actually, yes. nowadays, but, you know, he's, a, so, but, uh, again, like, just the look of Snake is iconic. I mean, you see this guy, and you're like, Right away, without even knowing anything, you could watch on mute and just see the introduction of, of Snake Plissken. You're like, "That's a hero. That's a badass. That's yeah. the man that gets results." Uh-huh. You know. Now, it would have been interesting if Clint Eastwood would have uh, played Snake because um, he was older at the time. But it would have been a bit of a reunion with Lee Van Cleef. You know, like a good, the good and the bad and the ugly uh-huh. sort of reunion. But no, it, it's 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 Kurt Russell, and um, yeah. So they basically give him the. I mean, he doesn't have a choice no. because. It's, you know, it's either that or spend the rest of his days uh, in on a island prison, a la Alcatraz, except or explode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Yeah, a choice. More no. options. Yeah. Two, two of them. Uh, neither of which are very good. And yeah. interestingly, I guess. In order to call me Snake, yeah, <laughs> in order to get him onto this, this this was a weird bit. They they I guess put him on a on a hang glider uh, to. S- land him atop the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why didn't they just chuck him over the wall? I guess, was it time? Well, you got a pulled or something? <laughs> no, just like... <laughs> like a beer saying, barrel in the Simpsons? I know his reputation precedes him, but couldn't they have just taken him to the bridge and just, I guess it may be time constraints because mm-hmm. they figured he was close by... Uh, uh, Battery Park or whatever, like Lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. where the, the thing would have crashed. So I guess time constraints. Uh, but, I mean, Manhattan is so small, it's so ludicrous, they could have just... Taking him to the bridge, said, "Here, you're walking." And he has to <laughs> no. You only have 24 go. hours, man. Yeah, but still, you know, like it's not. You know, the Isle of Manhattan, you can traverse it on foot fairly quickly. But they go through this rigmarole where he's on a glide plane, yeah. and he has, has to undergo this incredibly complex maneuver to land this plane on the top of this. Uh, yep. And and Which it should almost goes over. Oh, the top, of course, so yeah. You know, just in the nick of time, he manages to stop the plane. Yep. And and they they some of these models were built. Uh, using, I guess, uh, Roger Corman's uh, production facilities and involved was a young James Cameron, which is a neat little factoid. Did not know that. Yeah, and but anyway, he's <laughs> he's he's on this glide plane, and we should it should we should say that he does have a tracking device because the president um, is affixed with some sort of. It's like a precursor to GPS. I mm-hmm. guess it's some some sort of radio frequency that he emits, so that that snake can find him. So he's mm-hmm. not just walking around in the dark, you know, in the middle of this, you know, open air prison. So he does have uh, a way to track mm-hmm. the president. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, uh, getting back to what you were saying earlier about um, 
the the glider. This was a film that was made in '81, and I was watching on on an amazing transfer, a Blu-ray transfer. Uh, Shout Factory put it out. They did a 2K uh, restoration. It, 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 the movie looked fantastic. For sure. I mean, yeah, you know, some of the, the computer uh, graphics and stuff would be like on the actual computer look a bit horror and stuff. But the movie looked great with the models and everything. Everything looked fantastic, you know. So. Yes, Snake is now on the island, and now he's got to fulfill his mission. He's got to find the president. He has to extricate him from the island. He has to retrieve the tape, and he has to save his own ass. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's not going to be that easy, because along the way, he meets uh, quite a motley crew of characters. For example, he meets uh, Cabby. Er- yes, and, and this was a, a weird role, because... Um, I guess, what's that naval show? He's on, Captain McHale's Navy, or...? Some goofy sitcom yeah. that Ernest Borgnine was on, and mm. and uh, he's he's a gap-toothed, uh, smiling sort of ham, and he plays a gap-toothed, uh, smiling ham. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he plays a yellow cab driver, the quintessential, uh, you know, one of the cultural uh, symbols of New York City mm-hmm. for any mm-hmm. visitors there. And he, his cab has been running for thirty years. Yeah, he's, he, not, he's yeah. amazingly been able to steer clear of the banditos who roam the uh, streets by, I guess, keeping his his vehicle locked up. And so, but I guess doesn't really get into how he's paid or what in you know. Or even is there any currency on? I don't island? know. Like, I mean, there's roving gangs. Yeah. You know, there's scavengers and stuff. But is there like is there any barter system or? or yeah, you got to figure or? he gets some sort of uh, perks from from doing this, or maybe it's just to force a habit. He needs something to occupy yeah. his time. Well, he did seem a little deranged. So. Yeah, yeah. And and he um, as as cabbies are known to, they have their you know. Uh, ear to the ground they have they know what the pulse of what's going on and he's he knows that there's certain there's a hierarchy in this in this uh weird sort of open air prison Mm -hmm. and uh everyone seems to answer to this overlord this sort of uh prison gang uh head honcho and he goes by the name of Duke. Right. And he's the Duke of New York. And uh, a conduit to him is Harry Dean Stanton's character, Brain. 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 Yeah, and Brain's so, girlfriend or wife or what have you is Maggie, played by Adrian Barbeau. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Duke is Isaac Hayes. The great Isaac Hayes. Yes, and they know, I guess, uh, where the president is and, I guess, can be of assistance to give information to Snake uh, mm-hmm. while he's on his mission. Although... Yeah. Uh, given that he's already got, oh, I, f- I forget what it was, but maybe the tracker, the broke or something. I, there, I was there was some sort of yeah, there yeah, because he needed oh, their no, assistance. No, or, no, but I, I can't, again, like I mean, I can't quite remember, but he followed the tracker, but it led him to a dead end. I think somebody stole mm-hmm. the tracker or something. Oh, and put it on some hobo. Yeah, yes, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah, and then the, the hobo was getting a beat down, and yeah. uh, you know, he he doesn't know that it's a hobo. He grabs him by the, the shoulder, like pulls Pre- him aside and says, Mr. President, Mr. and then Mr. the bum, President. the bum, yeah. like, starts, I don't know, singing the Star-Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. I forget what he does, yeah. but yeah, that was yeah. pretty bloody hilarious. Uh, I think, again, with Snake, I mean, his reputation does precede him. Everyone seems to know who he is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but they all think he's dead. Yeah. Oh my God, you're Snake Plissken. <laughs> I thought you were dead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Uh, funny thing is that everybody in the movie that says, spoiler alert, I thought you were dead, ends up dying. Yeah, true. Um... And uh, so, yeah, so Snake ends up uh, getting some allies in his, um, in his quest to find the president, and he ultimately does, but in order to do so, he has to basically get by the Duke of New York, and this is no easy task. No, and uh, the Duke of New York's got an interesting uh, uh, crew under his employ. He's got one guy who 
who looks like Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. He's like his assistant. He's got the spiky hair, mm-hmm. and he's he's got all these like, little mannerisms. He's yeah. about five foot tall. <laughs> you know, kind of remind <laughs> me. I thought to myself, you know, he kind of looked a bit like Steve Buscemi, which is interesting because <laughs> Steve Buscemi ended up uh, appearing in the sequel to this, Escape from L.A., um, which we'll talk about later. But For sure. Yeah. So there's that Puck character. Yep. Yeah, and uh, they they obviously have kidnapped the president yeah. and they're using him for target practice mm-hmm. and they they dis- discover this this um, cassette document that's very coveted mm-hmm. and he also has I guess um, one of his enforcers is this giant ex-wrestler Ox Baker Ox Baker is, that, is, the, is the actual name of the wrestler mm-hmm. I forget the name of this character but yeah Snake has to step into the ring <laughs> yeah which is so bizarre and as well. face this guy yeah. in gladiatorial <laughs> combat and they got you know they got Baseball bats and everything. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's very weird. Like uh, it's it's almost James Bond esque. They've they, they've got Snake captured. They could easily just kill him, right. but they put him through this this test, almost mm-hmm. like uh, you know Hercules from and Antiquity. It, it, it's yeah. always like this is another cliche I love. I mean, you see this like I mean, my my favorite, of course, is in Rocky Four. You know, when he's in enemy territory and he's fighting Ivan Drago in mm-hmm. in Soviet Russia, and at the beginning of the fight, everyone's like, you know. Drago, 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 Drago. But at the end of the fight, where Rocky when he shows his heart, his fortune, and kicks Drago's ass, and all of a sudden, he just kicks on a dime, and everyone goes, Rocky, Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like the height of the Cold War, and they're carrying Rocky Balboa, and he actually, you know, he, he basically single handedly ended the Cold War. That's what's so cool about Rocky IV. Well, again, so when, when, um, when Snake lays waste to, uh, to Ox Baker, all of a sudden everyone's going, Snake! 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 snake yeah, and snake. It, it's a very good, it's a gladiatorial combat mm-hmm. uh, set in a, in a ring with uh, like a, a fence in, instead of uh, ropes, instead of ring ropes, and they're using, I guess, spiked bats and yep. shields in, instead of, I guess they're just hands and mm-hmm. legs and whatever, and yeah, again, Ox Baker, I think he was a contemporary of no, oh, like 60s wrestling, yeah, yeah. Bruiser Brody or one of these guys. Ever, like, I don't think he ever was in the WWE or... Uh, no, but, you yeah. know, 6'6 guy, like 260 pounds, just a formidable mm-hmm. guy. And Great apparently, look. yeah, with a, like a walrus mustache, just huge guy. And apparently, I guess during the shooting of this thing, he was... He was really giving Kurt Russell the beatdown. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> and you can tell like it, it transferred well to the film because Kurt Russell's being just abused. He's maybe about five eleven, five ten, and he's just like fighting for his life. Well, following up on that, at one point, uh, when, you know, when they call the cut, Kurt said to Ox, "He goes, listen, man, you're kind of hitting me a little too hard here. Maybe you want to like ease up a little bit." And Ox wasn't hearing any of it, so in order to actually prove his point. Kurt need him in the balls. <laughs> and then Ox got the message. Yeah. So, <laughs> good on Kurt for doing that. Um, eventually, this culminates in a, um, you know, okay, so we got to remember, he's got this this timer, this 24-hour timer that's counting down, and before you know it, we're down to like the last hour. Which is right? a, a great conceit and mm-hmm. a great cinematic device used in speed and what, what have you. It's a great way to propel the plug. Mm-hmm. And eventually, it's basically him and his allies, uh, Maggie, Brain, Cabby, Trying to escape Duke, who's now giving chase to uh, Kurt Russell. Well, we got to talk about Duke's vehicle, man. Oh yeah, well this is uh, <laughs> right uh, at the tail end of of uh, the black exploitation era mm-hmm. and uh, pimp culture and the likes of your Rudy Ray Moore and well hell Isaac Hayes' own movies, your your shafts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, his ride is incredible on the on the on the hood on each side of it. It's got. Uh, chandeliers it's just it's so wild yeah. it's, like it's some sort of old like long Buick or some it's amazing 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is... He, he almost, in, in a way, stole the film. He was, Isaac Hayes was incredible. Oh, yeah. Such a great character. Well, Isaac Hayes, I mean, he you know he's a formidable presence himself. He's mm-hmm. a big guy. And, uh, you know, when you, you mention Isaac Hayes' own films, I mean, the films he scored, the films he made, did the, he never actually really... Was he in many movies before this one? I don't think he was as an no. actor. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know why. I mean, you had you know your Fred Williamson's, your uh, your Jim Browns, what have you. Why not Isaac Hayes actually in front of the camera? The guy is he's a natural. He's great for you know? sure. Um, of course, Isaac Hayes ended up uh, achieving arguably his greatest fame as a voice of Chef on South Park. Yes. <laughs> and maybe his biggest hit single with uh, Chocolate Salty Balls, you know, <laughs> which was a number one hit in the UK. For um, sure. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, you know, like, do we, again, do we spoil it? Do we not spoil it? Does he get off the island? What happens? Does he rescue the president? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll yeah. leave that to those who haven't seen it, but mm. it's... It's amazing. This was made what thirty years ago, and it, it is still the best, one of the best Prison Break movies ever. And this template has been used so mm-hmm. many times. Again, with your Seagal's, where you have this inside man who has to break out of a prison or rescue someone in a prison, or this thing's been done a whole bunch of times in, in a much more inferior way. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting because this film when it was made in 1981, was given a budget of $7 million, right? Which at that point was the largest budget that um, Carpenter was ever given for a movie. And it was a minor hit. It wasn't a major hit, but it grossed $25 bucks, So it was profitable. Um, 15 years later, uh, in 1996, they'd made a sequel called Escape from L.A. Have you seen it? Yes. What did you think of it? It had its moments. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it has its... its it's worth checking out yeah. with reservations. Yeah. yeah, anyway, this was considered to be a major flop. I mean, this movie was uh, made for $50 million, and it grossed the same $25 million that Escape from New York grossed, but this was, of course, 15 years prior, and it was a big money loser. It was it, They did it because Kurt Russell just really wanted to play Snake yet again. It was, as I said before, it was his favorite character. Kurt Russell received a writing credit on Escape from L.A. Steve Buscemi was in it. Pierre Fonda was in it. I I just didn't like it. I know it has its fans. It does have its fans. A lot of people are saying that uh, Carpenter was sort of trolling the studio. That, you know, give me fifty million bucks, I'm just going to fucking piss your money away. <laughs> yeah. But uh, not a you know not a big big fan of the, of the sequel Escape from L.A. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Escape from New York. Yeah, um, we we got to say is we have to mention just how beautiful it is, how gorgeous mm-hmm. it's it's shot. Every scene. Is stunning to look at. It's most of it takes place at night, but it's it's so well lit, just and, beautiful. And, and given you know what's happened in the, in the city of St. Louis, Missouri, of late, with you know with the, the protests and and well, it's a, one of the more dangerous cities in the U.S. He to film there, he just wet down the streets. Mm-hmm. I think um, what was going on at the time, I can't remember. There is some sort of, I guess he just filmed in some sort of St. Louis ghetto, and it, it approximates the South Bronx very well. Mm-hmm. You never get the sense you're not in New York. He actually went through the trouble of filming the the uh, Lady Liberty, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty neat shot. But you, you that's the you actual really, only cr- yeah, the only New York, real yeah. New York in the entire movie. But mm-hmm. yet, it's never unconvincing where you say to yourself, no, "This is not New York." Yeah, the soundstage sets they built, everything just looked it looks incredible. incredible. Yeah. Um, whether they're in you know Battery Park or Central Park or mm-hmm. the library, it just always looked like New York. This movie 
it doesn't look dated. It doesn't feel dated. It's got a great pace. It's never boring for a second. For sure. It's got an incredibly kick-ass iconic character. Hilariously enough, um, in Italy, they changed the name of Snake to Hyena. <laughs> hyena Pliskin. So why has he got a snake tattoo on his side? And then in Korea, he was named Cobra. So, huh. so this is, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess... No, we did, we did podcast of the Stallone epic, Cobra. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny, like, the way he's toying with, uh, with, with Hawk all the time, you know, and Hawk calls him, keeps, keeps calling him Pliskin, he goes... Call me Snake. Yeah. Call me Snake. And then when he finally calls him Snake, he goes, call me Pliskin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to love this character. You know, he's a man of few words. He's a man of action. He looks iconic. And, and the thing is, again, like, I mean, of all the so-called horror auteurs, John Carpenter is my favorite. And with John Carpenter, I mean... Yeah, or Argento and Carpenter for sure for me. Well, the most beautiful I, films. Yeah, that like they far eclipse all your other your, was, your Fulci's or your Craven. Oh no, no, stunning. I, I was I was talking American. Oh, okay. Honestly, yeah. like I consider Fulci Argento to be in a different mm-hmm. league. You know, your Bavas, what have you. Um, now I'm talking about the American ones, right? And but what's so cool about John Carpenter is that yeah, I mean, obviously he's considered to be a horror guy, but I mean his movies are very diverse. I mean, he's done a lot of sci-fi. Like this is not a horror movie. Um, he made a movie a couple years later called Starman, which is an incredibly beautiful um, sci-fi love story. He's also made, you know, we, you know, we podcasted They Live. I mean, you know. He's... Yeah, a little misstep within the mouth of madness. I didn't care for that too much. But for the most part, pretty on point. Just mm-hmm. a pretty well, amazing. The, and then Big Trouble in China was mm-hmm. basically a comedic romp. I mean, the guy is nothing if not versatile. And I, I, I love his... No, I mean, he's, he's his, his later output is... Kind of shit. His last movie, The Ward, was terrible. But I mean, early Carpenter is unbelievable. He can't mm-hmm. be beat. And Escape from New York is a bona fide classic. There is no doubt about it. Um, what did you learn from Escape from New York? Um, I learned that, in, well, in addition to the iconic yellow calves that are, you know, the. Uh, one of the cultural touchstones of <laughs> New York City. It's just iconic, along with delis and along with musicals. So in this movie, they actually, to amuse themselves, and currently they do this too, where you have prisoners put on performances for others, where they do improv and plays. In this island penal colony, they actually have a sort of song and dance routine that is taking place in one of the abandoned theaters. Mm-hmm. And it's a well-attended event with these these four guys who are singing some sort of song. And... I guess this is what how how they pass the time. I mean, they've got to do something to amuse themselves, other than uh, these gladiatorial combats or, or to the, the death, or marauding and scouting. Yeah, and that, sort of <laughs> that stuff, can yeah. get old. So yep. yeah, it's pretty funny that they actually and and the cabbie does attend these things. He loves them. He loves them. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how we're first introduced to Ernest Borgnine. And that, that 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 music uh, plays a big part in this movie. Yeah, it's really gonna, neat. We're yeah. not going to say how. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I what learned, did you learn? I learned a couple things. Again, I'm just going to repeat the fact that Kurt Russell, I think, is one of, one of our generation's um, most underrated actors. Uh, I think, and, and one of the most kick-ass action stars of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking they're, they're, they're talking about remaking this thing. And uh, I can't think of an American actor who would foot the bill 
to do this. Like, there's someone suggested Vin Diesel. I don't see it. Uh, they, there's been talk of Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy, uh, Tom Hardy, who's who's great, but I can't think of an American well, I who would really, gonna, other than Vin Diesel, but gonna, he's not femaleize it and yes. Emily Blunt play Snake Plissken. You She's know, uh, not very badass. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that movie Edge of Tomorrow that she was in with Tom Cruise, but apparently it's a good movie. I just huh. have, uh, my enmity towards Tom Cruise is totally, you know, well, it's sort of preventing me from seeing it, but apparently she's a really good action hero. And Interesting. A, a recent movie she made called Sicaro, where again she held her own as a bit of an action hero, heroine. So who knows? Maybe that might work. Yeah, maybe, ra- maybe, uh, maybe they'll get uh, rowdy Ronda Rousey. Hey, who knows? Well, gonna, I know. It's all speculation I, 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 at this point. This you know, came you, out in March you know, to say they're redoing it. You I know that Rousey is, is going to be doing, the, she's doing a remake of Roadhouse, and she's going to be the Dalton character. Yes. And But after that ass-kicking that Rousey took, I don't know, her stock is <laughs> sort of, yeah. as far but, as I'm concerned. I, that's an interesting, interesting idea for a reboot, because I can't, well, maybe she would be sui generis, the only woman on the planet I would be afraid of in the context of going into a bar and being tossed from it. Maybe Layla Ali, Muhammad Ali's daughter, but you don't think of women as bouncers in a way. Like, But, uh, hell, th- that would be a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Is it, I've never seen a female bouncer, and oh, I'm looking forward to the, that reboot. I mean, I, we, we, we love Patrick Swayze, Point Break, appalling <laughs> <laughs> as a reboot. Interesting. I, I'm going to reserve judgment, but I will see it for sure. You're talking about the Roadhouse remake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I just I'm I'm getting really sick and tired of these remakes. I would rather just them not remake Roadhouse, not remake this movie, let it stand on its own. Honestly, um, I'd love to see Tom Hardy as Snake Plissken, but you know he's already like, is he going to become the reboot guy? I mean, he was you know Mad Max. Mad I mean, Max. Yeah. So uh, personally, I would rather them not do this. Um, but, you know, Hollywood, it seems like they have a dearth of ideas, and they just keep going back to the well of the 80s and remake and remake and remake and just, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, uh, getting back to what I was saying earlier about Kurt Russell, uh, underrated. Um, I saw it a little bit too late for it to go on our top ten list of 2015, Bone Tomahawk. But if I had seen it prior to us writing that list, it would have been Right there near the top. An incredible movie. And people are saying the same about Krampus. But we can only see so many movies in the year, and these came out very late toward mm-hmm. the end of the year. We could not include it in our in our top ten. But, but Bone Tomahawk is a fucking incredible mm. uh, hybrid Western horror film, and Russell is great. The other thing I learned, too, is it's... And this is, I guess, I'm going to get a little more political now, but, you know, 9-11, I mean, it was such a... Yeah, a watershed moment. moment a watershed sure. moment that it's just colored everything since when you see a movie that was set in new york back in you know the 70s the 80s the early even the 90s what have you and you see those two towers standing anything from this movie to woody Allen's manhattan it's just you can't yeah. help but just be reminded of 9-11 and then we see a movie like this where a plane actually crashes into one yeah, of the towers yeah that was unbelievable it's, it's just bizarre you yeah. know and i remember like in the in the aftermath of 9-11 like they're actually like, I'm talking about in the first few months, you know, they were actually talking, and this was fucking stupid, but they were talking about going back and 
into the entire film archives and like digitally erasing the Twin Towers from, like, <laughs> every movie. Yeah. For a long time, they refused to air the Simpsons episode where the Simpsons go to New York because there's that episode where Homer wants to use a toilet and he runs up one Twin Tower <laughs> yes. and then he goes up the other one. Yeah. That took a few years for them to start re-airing again. You know, we've, we've now reached a point where we can see the Twin Towers and it's okay, but at the same time, it, it's interesting. It just gives you an, an added bit of re- uh, yeah, resonance, resonance for sure. when you see the Twin Towers. Um... But I've learned, you know, this is not what I've learned. This is what I'm saying is that not every movie needs to be remade. Mm-hmm. Some of Carpenter's movies have been remade, like uh, Halloween, and look what happened with that. You know, zombies shot all over it, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, not all movies need to be remade. No, and this thing just maybe shouldn't be. It, it's stunning to look at. It's it's launched a host of imitators that are all inferior. Mm-hmm. You, you can't touch this thing. There are also a lot of Italian knockoffs of this one that were made mm-hmm. too. So let's leave this as as it is. So star rating for uh, no, Escape from New four York. for me. Just an amazing, amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna just, give it it was such a well. pleasure to revisit it. I didn't yep. realize how beautiful it was until I saw it again. Mm-hmm. Just wow, does it ever hold up? Yeah, it actually, when I the last time I saw it, really, I was I was quite young, mm-hmm. and when I revisited it in preparation for this podcast, um, watching on Blu-ray, I was just like, "Fuck, man, this movie is wicked." I just I I, I had a grin on my face and the beginning of the movie to the end so i can't recommend it enough escape sure. from new york escape from l.a i'm a little bit iffy on you <laughs> like more than i do yeah, it's it's yeah yeah <laughs> with caveats and yeah. uh, be sure and check us out on twitter awful underscore movies and uh follow us on uh, facebook and of course visit our uh, site www.reallyawfulmovies.com and we'll talk to you soon take care World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Went. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.